to have those awkward conversations, often awkward at the beginning, but then open conversations, to ask, how are you doing? And then asking again, how are you really doing? They're, they can be very, very powerful. And so whether you have a formal peer support program or not, being able to connect with colleagues mm-hmm. is job one. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle. And today on the show, we're talking about physician burnout and suicide prevention in healthcare. We have a distinguished panel of experts. We have Pat Flynn, Assistant Vice President of Wellness and Employee Assistance at Northwell Health. We have Dr. Mayor Bellison, Director of the Center for Traumatic Stress, Resilience and Recovery. And we have Corey Feist, Co-Founder and President of the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation. September 17th is National Physician Suicide Awareness Day. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, Corey, your sister-in-law, Dr. Lorna Breen. Thank you for asking. Thanks for having me today, Rob. And it's a pleasure to be here with uh, with this esteemed group. Um, so Dr. Breen was a force. Um, first of all, uh, I know this is a Northwell podcast. She was uh, she trained at, at LIJ. Uh, Dr. Breen was just a quintessential physician, always striving to take care of patients in the best possible way, as well as you know, deeply caring about the well-being of her colleagues. Um, she was the cool aunt to eight nieces and nephews. Uh, she was a latecomer to orchestra and the cello, which is a really hard instrument, by the way. And I don't know that why you would voluntarily pick that up in your thirties, but she did. <laughs> um, she was an avid outdoors woman. She snowboarded multiple times a year in many, on many, on multiple continents. Um, she really was living the life in New York that she really ever dreamed of living her entire, her entire life um, and uh, tragically died by suicide on April 20th, 2020 um, after, a, after a bout of, of COVID and then um, trying to recover from that while treating patients. It was just too much for her. Yeah, being a doctor is a, is definitely a high stress job, um, and then you bring in COVID, and and it it becomes so much more stressful. Doctor Bellison, tell us a little bit about how you're helping, and and we're helping uh, physicians and clinicians, you know, cope during this this unprecedented time of of the COVID pandemic. Uh, sure, absolutely, and uh, thank you for having me here as well. Uh, with this wonderful group. Um, So our Center for Traumatic Stress Resilience and Recovery was really set up uh, in the wake of COVID. We had recognized a need within Northwell even a little prior to COVID to have dedicated services for uh, the impacts of traumatic stress. And that included uh, the stress that could be incurred through healthcare work. Uh, In fact, we uh, recognized early on that some of our staff were struggling uh, as a result of some of that stress, Uh, but COVID really amplified the need. Uh, And so we were established to provide both resiliency services, which are more preventative, as well as behavioral health interventions for those struggling with the sequela or the consequences of the stress, such as depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Pat, can you tell us a little more about the resources that we have here at Northwell? Yeah, I mean, we're so fortunate to work for a place that really is committed to providing resources. So the resources are there. It comes down to what is the culture for 
you know, accepting the, the help and getting having permission to get help. Now, I've been in the field a long time, and I can tell you that physicians, <laughs> they're my toughest group. I mean, we, we have these wonderful resources and, you know, we they're not always utilized by physicians. So something like today was wonderful because it, you know, over 200 people attended and, you know, we talked about openly about the stigma. We have seen an improvement, but we have a long way to go. Yeah, uh, Corey, you're, um, the foundation really tries to break down some of these stigmas. You're also uh, working in, in Washington, and I, I believe you have the, the Lorna uh, Breen um, Act. Just tell us a little bit about that. It's really close. We, so after Dr. Breen died, we had this outpouring of, of just um, outreach, I would just say, from all over the country and all over the world. And one of those was Senator Tim Kaine and a number of colleagues in the United States Senate. And um, we developed this with industry experts, um, and I've got a background in healthcare, so we helped to develop the Lorna Breen Act, which does four major things um, under the umbrella of about $140 million worth of new programs. Uh, the first is it, it, it provides grants to uh, support the current workforce um, and their well-being. The second is it provides grants to help retrain the, the new workforce, uh, the future nurses and doctors and other healthcare professionals. Uh, the third is that it creates a national awareness campaign on these issues, as Pat was just suggesting. Um, sometimes it's it's hard to convince uh, physicians in particular to, to take care of resources. Um, it's just uh, taking care of themselves is always secondary to taking care of patients, so we totally get that. Um, but then the third part of the Warner Breen Act is that it provides um, for a comprehensive study of the root cause of these issues. Uh, what's great about the law is that in the American Rescue Plan, which was the Biden COVID relief plan, 110 million of the $140 million worth of programmatic funding already got allocated. And all of the health systems that I'm aware of in the country that have programs have been applying for these HRSA grants, the Warner Green Act dollars, um, all summer. And uh, so while the, the act has passed the full Senate and is slated to pack the, pass the full House in the coming uh, really months, the dollars, by and large, are out there and are making an immediate and long-term impact. Yeah, and Dr. Bellison, I mean, when you when you talk about burnout, um, doctors are right up there. I mean, that's like this, like probably the number one profession where there's burnout. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, healthcare workers are really high up there with uh, the experience of burnout. Uh, and uh, in fact, also uh, physicians are among, unfortunately, the top uh, profession to experience uh, suicide. You know, the as as has been described by uh, Corey and, and Pat, the uh, the culture uh, of healthcare is one that can be at times, you know, very demanding. Uh, in a way that you know, you take people who are very compassionate, natural caregivers who are always trying to care for others, and they're also high achievers, right? These are individuals that, you know, are used to high levels of success and achievement academically and professionally. And they're just always on the go trying to really do something good for their patients and for each other. Uh, so, you know, the burnout becomes quite prominent and uh, it's very easy for us to miss uh, the signs in ourself. 
if we're not looking out for it um, and if we're not trained to be mindful of this, uh, which is why you know a big part of our emphasis uh, in our center has been uh, some peer support programs like Stress First Aid as a, a way to, in fact, help uh, colleagues catch each other's experience of stress and support one another. Uh, but, you know, some of our uh, activities have included, as uh, Pat had been mentioning, um, assessment. And we did see high levels of stress and burnout. We had about 36 percent of our overall population indicating uh, high degrees of stress in the most recent assessment. Uh, we also had um, higher levels of symptoms of anxiety and depression, uh, anywhere from 40 to 60% endorsing some symptom of those conditions and, uh, and you know, and, and, and about 20% at a elevated rate. So especially in this time during COVID, which has just put everything on steroids in terms of the demand and the workload, uh, it's something that we have to be very mindful of. Yeah, then, uh, this is, you know, uh, social connection is so important during this time. And, you know, we, we try to approach well-being in a very holistic way at Northwell. And um, it was surprising how social isolation became s such a, an important piece of this holistic picture last year. So we were doing a lot to just for connection. We would hold um, webinars with very simple creative arts connection events. So, uh, you know, just looking at the whole person, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, sleep became very important to people. So, you know, food, <laughs> so some of the basics, but it was very important to look at the whole person throughout the last um, 18 months or so. Um, so, Robert, if I could just add uh, two things. One, just to reinforce Pat and Pat's point there, don't, don't wait. This is not something that people should sit around and speculate whether or not your, your, your colleague is in trouble. Uh, what Dr. Breen reported to us, her first day back from having COVID was that she was having trouble and she thought her colleagues could recognize it. Now for her, that was a huge, that was a huge uh, blow to her, uh, to her psyche, if you will, that she was, she was so concerned that this was going to create uh, a, an impossible um, ding on her professional reputation that, that she just kept trying to grind through it. To have those awkward conversations, often awkward at the beginning, but then open conversations, to ask, how are you doing? And then asking again, how are you really doing? They're, they can be very, very powerful. Uh, so I just wanted to, re I, I wanted to reinforce that in terms of the immediacy. Um, the other thing from a data perspective is that according to a national survey of the American Medical Association, the vast majority of physicians have actually identified that they want a peer support program um, as their first level of intervention, which just tells me that they want to talk to their, I mean, one, they want to talk to their, those who've walked in the same shoes. And so whether you have a formal peer support program or not, being able mm -hmm. to connect with colleagues mm -hmm. is job one here. Yeah. yeah and and you know we have this here at Northwell but it, I mean some for not maybe not everybody knows about it Pat what do you do to reach out to people to let people know that that there's always somebody to listen there's so always somebody there to talk to I mean we try to use every channel that's available to us through all of our um, our liaisons across it's a, this is a large geographic group 
through our leaders. You know, recently um, there was an ER doc that said to me that she was doing actually really well. We were talking and I said, oh, well, what makes the difference in your group? And she said, it's our leader. We have a very supportive leader who's created a culture that you can say you're not okay. So I think the leader piece of this is very important too. Yeah. And Dr. Bellison, what do you say to somebody who says, you know, I, w- I want to open up, but I'm afraid and, and, and because of the stigma, what, what do you say? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, uh, first, uh, you know, we acknowledge that, of course, the stigma is there. Uh, and that, uh, you know, there are reasons that people have come to a place where they might be fearful. Uh, but it is really critical to start that process of finding a safe place that you can, in fact, come forward. And, you know, as has been emphasized, um, it is okay to not be okay. And we do need to do more to change the culture to make that clear and resounding. And I do believe that that is happening. Uh, we see that happening uh, in each discipline, you know, at different rates. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if a person is not comfortable coming forward to, let's say, their leader, uh, then, you know, there are avenues available that their confidentiality will be kept and uh, that they should hopefully reach out to to come forward to. Uh, that could include our resources within Northwell, such as EAP, behavioral health resources. It could include stepping into the community. Um, and even uh, the Medical State Staff Society of New York has also their own peer programs that you can reach out to. So there are options, but reaching out uh, is important. Uh, although we can't just rely on people to reach out that's why we have to also be proactive to uh, reach out to them. Yeah, Corey, you, today, you talked about at today's event, addressing barriers to seeking help. You talked about six barriers to care. Can you tell us what those are and what the organizations can do? Absolutely. The first is state licensure. Many states um, have questions uh, in their application or reapplication uh, that ask about prior mental health status um, in violation in some states with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, New York State actually doesn't have questions on those on the application, so it's really important for people to understand what the current state of their state is in terms of their licensure questions. Uh, the second is in the privileging and credentialing forms that our, our physicians have to complete to work in hospitals. Those can have questions around mental health, prior mental health treatment. Uh, the third are commercial insurance uh, applications to be part of panels and be paid, frankly, for your work. Um, those two can have questions. Um, the fourth are malpractice insurance um, applications to be covered by insurance, making sure that those forms, uh, you know what's in those forms and, and, and working with insurance companies to get those questions. Uh, the fourth is uh, trying to work and develop safe haven programs for, uh, the, for the to remain confidential the mental health records of treating physicians who happen to be in medical malpractice lawsuits. It broke my heart, among other things, to learn recently that there are states in this country that have the ability for a plaintiff's lawyer to find the mental health medical records of treating physicians in malpractice lawsuits. And so uh, Virginia and Michigan have passed laws to, to create protections and confidentiality around those. And then finally, looking at the structure of medical, uh, your medical plan for doc, for the doctors and nurses in the workforce and giving them alternative pathways for mental health access. They're not simply 
uh, to use the resources of the own institution, just given the stigma we've been talking about before. Until we break that stigma, we've got to create alternative pathways. And as I mentioned in my talk earlier today, you know, tragically, we learned from uh, the spouse, uh, the widow, frankly, of of a of a mercy room physician in Utah, um, who it it just it broke him to have to go to his own institution for inpatient psych care. And after he was discharged from that, he, he took his own life. So that was a you know, that's, these are all things that many of these things are things that hospitals and health systems can just take a look at. This is so personal to us because Dr. Bree deeply thought that she was going to lose her medical license in New York, and she was not correct about that. And so we, we feel like just bringing education to the workforce on this topic is, is a key first step that organizations can take to support their own in this journey. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think I, I heard you say on a talk show one time that um, the state that was most progressive is Mississippi, and that if more states were like Mississippi uh, or the rest of the 49 states, we'd be in much better in much better shape. That's right. Actually, uh, Mississippi and North Carolina, I came to learn after I did that Today Show interview, North Carolina also has questions. And, and it's what I, what I like about the questions is because we know that your ability to take care of yourself impacts your ability to, to be, you know, to thrive as a person and do your job, right? So what, what both Mississippi and North Carolina ask is an attestation that, that physicians are taking care of themselves. And the recognition there is if you're taking care of yourself, then you're in better state to take care of your patients. And so they draw that connection. So yeah, it's, it's, um, we need, we need now 48 more of those in this country. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, and Pat and, and, and Dr. Mellison, you think that would definitely, that would make a difference. Absolutely. Um, both points, the, uh, you know, increasing the awareness and demystifying exactly what happens will go a long way. Um, I've worked, uh, in other capacities with veterans and law enforcement as well. And you hear some similar stigmas and sometimes fears of, you know, the repercussions and education goes a very long way to help reduce that stigma and uh, increasing uh, the pledge to self-care, you know, I think sets that example uh, for others to follow. So we always like to end on a positive note. So I just want to ask you, what gives you hope? What gives you optimism going forward? For me, um, the conversation that has happened following Dr. Breen's death and because COVID has really continued now, unfortunately, now into our fifth wave, but the, the fact that we're having this conversation today, the fact that we had hundreds of people on the line, what gives me hope is that people are paying attention. People are willing to help. People are willing to take care of each other. My last 16 months, I met more people through Zoom who came out of the woodwork to say, how can I help? And we are turning that back around to say, help, help yourself, help your colleagues, and just spread this like the butterfly principle, if you will. And so what gives me hope is that kind of the response to all of this and people really wanting to do something different and make, make immediate and long-standing change. Awesome. Pat, what gives you hope uh, and optimism going forward? What gives me hope is that we're even having this conversation today and my partners all across Northwell that are committed to providing resources and, and the culture where we can provide help. Awesome. Dr. Bellison, same question to you. 
and many of the same answers. Um, you know, I think that uh, the, the the change that we're seeing is tremendous. Uh, it's unfortunate the tragedies that have had to happen in order to get here, but uh, the hunger that we're seeing from people coming forward to want to change the culture, to learn how to provide peer support, how to provide support in general is, is immense. And the commitment uh, from Northwell, uh, standing up our center, standing up all of the resources to be able to really meet these needs um, and, and the success that Corey has had uh, in such a short time, you know, is really, uh, it's amazing. It's creating a community focused on this effort uh, and it's going to have lasting change. Awesome. Well, Dr. Bellison, Pat, Corey, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And for you, thank you for tuning in. Have a great day and stay safe. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.